Welcome to The Next Imperative, a podcast hosted by AM energy leaders tackling key issues and trends in the industry. In this episode, Senior Director Jeff Angulo and co-host Adnan Khan are joined by industry experts Ben Brule from Oventiv, Afshin Telezaz from Magellan Midstream Partners, and Brandon Brown from Vital Energy to discuss innovation ecosystems and how to leverage them to get the most value add for the business. Um, that was a great perspective there, Afshin. I think what I heard was that there is a fine balance of interplay between internal and external innovation uh, that requires a operating model uh, that gives you the full view of the innovation strategy. The point that I found really interesting was uh, what you mentioned about uh, an ecosystem of partners, right? And different partners play different roles within that ecosystem that align to your overall uh, strategic priority, whether it's overall business strategy or technology strategy. Great point on that. I'm going to ask you to unwrap that a little bit. What do you mean by when you, or what is an effective ecosystem of sure. partners? Uh, what does that look like? I would I would go a little further and say it's not just partners. We, we can certainly get into that a little bit, but also an ecosystem internally. Sure. So I, I like to go back to a point that Brandon made about adoption. And the way that I like to think about innovation ecosystems is the first is you have to be able to capture the idea, right? What, what in your organization are those ideas that you want to move forward, both internally and externally? then how do you choose them, right? How do you put together the technologies to actually get the value? Um, what I've seen in the past is that if you can find a way to connect different ideas that are related, you can get a greater sum than the individual parts. And then how do you actually start doing a POC or a proof of value or actually realizing um, what that innovation might look like in application to your business? Once you have a good feel for it, then the next step is turning it into something that's actually useful and then scaling it, that adoption piece. And then once you scale it, how do you build the support structure to be able to sustain it in the organization as an actual capability? So really those six phases is when I think about internal ecosystems to really help support innovation. From an external ecosystem perspective, it's about, again, what do those partners bring as capabilities for your innovation strategy? So if, if part of your innovation strategy is using cloud technologies, what partners do you have available to you to help bring the full value of those cloud technologies in a cost-effective way? Again, it's easy to spend a lot of money in cloud technologies, but, but that can damage the ROI. If you're wanting to do machine learning and you're wanting to go into specific types of machine learning, what partners do you have that can come and help you quickly develop machine learning models that are deployable and sustainable within the organization, right? Because those models change as the business context changes um, once you deploy those models. And so how do you do that well? Whether it's a specific technology or a set of capabilities, having a partner ecosystem can not only help you actually deliver the innovation, help you with the adoption, change management is another one, being critical about change management and bringing that into the organization, but also having a little bit of redundancy, I think is really important. So when with partners, um, do you have more than one partner that can help you do a thing? Um, whether that's capacity, some partners have a lot of different clients. So multiple partners for the same thing even. They can even have the same thing, right? Or, or you might have a firm that can do multiple things. And so um, you might have a, a partner that has a lot of clients and may have limited capacity deliver you more, more resources for additional statements of work. And that might be where you need to be able to bring in other partners to help move forward. So thinking about strategically, 
um, not only large partners versus small partners, but also capabilities of those partners. And are they technology specific or are they more skill specific? And really thinking about how you weave those together to be able to, to really build resiliency and sustainability in your ecosystem to actually continuously deliver innovation. Because all of those partners may have different capabilities in different phases of the innovation process that can really be brought to bear to help accelerate and, and help ensure that that adoption occurs in, in a way that's useful to that organization. Yeah, I think the piece I would add is just as a, you know, the ecosystem is important and getting the right partners are important. It's also critical to think about what's the process you bring those partners in? Like, how do you vet those partners? How do you decide which ones are the right ones? And when you bring one in that's not the right one, what's your process for exiting quickly out of your organization? They're not all, they're not all great. Um, there are a lot of great ones out there, but you got to need to think about as you bring them in, what requirements are you looking for? What skill sets are you looking for? Study the statement of work, you get proper outcomes, but also just as important, make sure you've got a way to exit them if, if they're not meeting your expectations. And, and to Brandon's point, that process of bringing partners in, it takes time yeah. to ramp up a partner to come in to understand your organization, how your organization works, you know, your technology stack, all of those, those tactical items that can either help accelerate the value creation or actually slow you down. So, so let me ask you, Brandon, just on that particular thought was, which one do you think is harder? Internal ecosystem sort of setup or bringing, uh, finding external partners and bringing them on or exiting them? Which one is the harder one from your perspective? I think, I think they're, they're both difficult, just difficult, difficult in different ways. Yeah. Um, but probably, you know, probably the external one probably be more difficult. There's, just, there's more unknowns with that. I think it takes you time to understand kind of what it is they're bringing and the value that they provide. Um, that's, I think, why the, why the process is important. Make sure you've got a good process to vet them out so you can kind of work them through that and be consistent from partner to partner. Ben, what about from your perspective? Yeah, I, I think a ecosystem is absolutely critical. And I think that the word Ashin used that resonates with me a lot is sustainable. Yeah. So when I think about ecosystem, I think about how do you sustainably innovate or how do you sustainably progress? And how do you progress? You, you bring different perspectives together. That's how you generate innovation in general. But I think what I, I, it sticks with me a lot of the times is that companies want to jump to the external so quickly before they really tap into the internal ecosystem, the, the true collaboration. I go back early on in my career. I was working on some, uh, some geoscience work, and I was putting it in a different context. I was kind of heading a certain direction. And someone said, hey, why don't you reach out to this person? And um, they, they weren't in geoscience, they weren't in engineering, it was just in a different group altogether, and I reached out to them, and they had just a completely different take on it. So same problem, but a completely different take. And they said, hey, well, let me, let me get my colleague or somebody else in different discipline. Now we're going down the path of like HR and legal and accounting and just different people. So we're all working for the same company. They all kind of know the similar problem, but we started to talk about it in just materially different ways. So I think like step one, internal ecosystem, you got to get that right. You have to figure out how you effectively tap into and harness all the ideas and talent. Because let's face it, you go to every company in the, the E&P, the energy sector, um, there's just fantastically talented, brilliant people everywhere but getting them to really tap into each other's capabilities, that's a struggle in itself. So in my mind, um, I think the internal is actually a little harder to really get to where you want it to be because you, you can see that today. You know who you have in that organization. You know what success could look like, but getting there is, mm -hmm. is really tough versus the external. Like you don't even know what you don't know. So it's a little uh, yeah. easier to kind of push that down the road a little bit, but the, the internal, then you can actually capitalize on the external engagements tenfold. Yeah. So the internal for me is really the critical part because if you don't have that set up right, you can't really leverage the external partnerships as you vet them pro appropriately and get them kind of in-house. Yeah, and I, and I think the, 
I love the way sort of Benny sort of positioned that the one thing that we see again from an outside in perspective is it's interesting to hear sort of this perspective to have this ecosystem. Not many corporations actually have an innovation strategy, right? They've got a business strategy. Uh, the forward thinkers got a technology strategy or a digital strategy, but a innovation strategy has never been a deliberate thought, at least in the energy industry in my mind. Right? It's been more of a byproduct of, okay, we've got multiple projects, okay, we need to kind of align ourselves. But starting off by saying, okay, we need to, before we go on this journey, and we've got a lot of things that are coming up right now, let's think about how are we systematically going to bring in internal capabilities, create a structure that enables those internal uh, coll collisions, right? The, how do we get these in internal collisions happening? Where do we insert some external perspectives, whether it's either capabilities, skills, um, you know, ramp up, ramp down project size, various different elements of that. But we, I, I don't see that very common, uh, at least in the energy industry. So it's one of the biggest opportunities that I see for our industry to kind of solve the, the trilemma problem of, uh, that we're facing right now. Let's talk about motivation for partnering. Uh, you know, typically each partner will bring to the table uh, something that the other is missing. And while overall I think it's safe to say that the corporates are seeking innovation, um, and startups tend to be looking for a reputation, future customers, uh, in some cases also additional capital, um, as, as motivators for getting together. What do you guys, and I'll start with you this time, Ben, what do you see as the main motivations for small and large corporations to team up? And I'd love to hear your thoughts from, from a large company and then to the extent you, you have some good thoughts on from a startup perspective as well, what, what the two groups are looking for. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And what I love about it too is that both sides, the corporate and the startup, they come about it from completely different perspectives. You know, the, the corporates, they have tangible problems. You know, and those are problems that come up quarterly. Like, hey, this is a problem we want to get better at. We want to get smarter in this space. So there's a couple of different ways you can go about doing that. You could put a, you know, a SWAT team on it in internal. Um, you could dedicate a new group to start building that expertise. Or you could go external and try to find somebody and say, hey, I know somebody's working in this space. I think pretty highly of them and the work they've been doing. I've heard some good things. Let's go start vetting them. So it's, it's, um, it's a way to accelerate that value. But on the flip side, the startup side, um, they're coming around it from a completely different perspective. They're looking to disrupt and build a market for a technology that they're developing or a service that they're developing, or even taking a known technology and a known service, but building an incremental business model that hasn't been utilized before. So they're trying to be more disruptive versus the corporates are trying to be a little bit more incre incremental, more tangible to the here and now, like, hey, shareholders want value now. You know, they're not really interested in the eight to 10. It's like the here and now is what really counts. So I think it's just different perspectives and, and you find that mutual win and you align the cultures and then I think you're off and running at that point. So I think Ben said it, it's one word for value. Mm -hmm. It's all about value. How can, how can partnerships, how can innovation generate value for the enterprise? Um, and ensuring, you know, Ben, you'd mentioned that they might have different ways of going about trying to create that value. And I think to ensure that that partnership works is that value is aligned, that the, that the corporation is, is aligned with the startup and generating that value. But at its fundamental core, it's all about adding value to the enterprise. Yeah, definitely agree with both the guys. It's about value and that, and that value is on both sides, right? The value for the startup, what, what, are they, what are they doing for the larger corporation and what value are they getting out of it? Sometimes it might just be recognition that they've got a customer and that they've delivered a successful solution. And then the value for the corporation could be the acceleration by bringing a partner in. So yeah, I'm with, I'm with you guys. It's definitely the value aspect. I have a little bit of a different perspective on that. Right? I think, um, I mean, you know, just picking up on a little bit on yours, I think when you think about the 
challenges or the needs or the motives of the corporate side. I think you know you're right. There's very defined uh, you know business needs or business challenges and problems that are not very uh, they don't fluctuate. There's obviously uh, business changes that happen, but it's pretty pretty much the stable, right? I think from a startup perspective, um, the issue is that it just depends on what stage the startup is, right? The motives of a fresh startup is very different than perhaps say somebody who are in their middle of their stage or some late stage startups, right? If you're an early stage, all you're looking for is some sort of a proof of concept, land a big customer, uh, be able to solve a problem of a customer need uh, and adapt really quickly and use your agility to solve a problem to meet a customer need and get sticky. If you're a later stage startup, right, you're, what you're really looking for is gearing up for your investors, right? You're really looking to get a Series B or a Series C or you know further beyond on that, and at that point you're looking for some sort of repeatability, and so the customization becomes lower, and it's more dedicated focus on customer um, retention, making sure that the customers you do have are sticking around and the market sees your value. And so depending on how and what stage of a startup you're working with, that really does make a big difference. I'm curious to see that if you've ever seen, um, is it easier working with an early startup versus a late stage startup from your perspective? Or um, do you think it's equally the same? Have you had any experience or any perspective on that? Um, Brandon? Oh, I've had a little bit of experience and I, I probably prefer the early stage of the startup just yeah. because they're agile and they can move quickly and they're seems to me they're more flexible yeah. right and they're more willing to they're more willing to help solve those problems because they're trying to they're trying to prove themselves yeah, you, you have more influence yes. over more the technology influence on what they're doing and, the yeah. Yeah. yeah plus i think there's also the partnership is true partnership because they've there's so much that they want to become a part of the corporate sort of uh, oh and, and they're focused on your success as they move further through that startup process and you said it right they're focused on their shareholders right they, they shift focus and and you see that and then their behaviors as, as, you know, as working directly with them. Yeah, I actually um, take the, the opposite stance there. I kind of prefer the late stage yeah. because uh, internally it's easier for me to build momentum around it. You know, there, there's more, more proven technology that they have, you know, case studies they can share. There, there's less risk. Um, so there is more immediate tangible benefit that is kind of guaranteed back to the organization that we can start going down that path. So lose a little bit of that flexibility, but in my mind it makes the, the implementation more likely. So in my, in my mind, I'm always thinking like, okay, what's the implementation hurdle? What's the change leadership aspect here that we're going to have to overcome? And sometimes it is just um, proving that the, the risk has been mitigated along the way. So that's why I kind of like to lean towards more of the, the late stage versus the early stage developing. You know, from my viewpoint, it really is, is based on where I'm bringing the partner in. Yeah. Um, both of those are good points, and I think they, they both hold true. If it's, if it's in a technology that's, that's really niche, cutting edge it's not it there's value but it's not baked right it's not known how that technology really needs to be applied having being able to influence the way that technology is applied is is really important um, to be able to be able to shape that product and, and really bring the full value to the organization in some situations where you really need something to work you want to have some influence um, but it's a, it's a it's a, a technology or a skill set that's going to be brought in that you need it to be a little bit more sustainable. You need to have a little less risk around whether or not the, the company is going to be there in six months or nine months. Late stage, I think, can can help bring some of that certainty with that partner that sometimes may not be there with really early startups. Yeah, that's a really valid point. It just depends on where you're bringing them into. Yeah. You know, for example, if I'm going to do a cybersecurity assessment, I, I want somebody who's done a lot of yeah. them, who's really good at them. I'm going to get a solid product at the end of it. So yeah, that's a good point for sure.
Any examples that you guys can think about, like depending on what level of a startup, like you know, that solves different problems for different stages and uh, meets different needs. Yeah, we're, we're uh, in my day to day currently. We're we're currently working with a little bit of a late stage startup, yeah. um, more technology based. So um, trying to get to a point where we can take a known technology and actually use it to make business decisions. Right. Technology has been around for quite a while. I've been working with that on subsurface teams, geoscientists, reservoir engineers, but haven't ever been able to crack the nut on how to use it. Like, okay, do we, can we actually make a decision based on this, this analysis, this uh, technology, this run? Um, and the answer is no. To this point, we've never gotten there, but that's what we're trying to embark upon. So it's not generating a new technology. It's not taking a materially different business strategy to the, to the team. It's taking a known technology, but approaching it uh, close to core is the way I kind of put it and uh, seeing what, what kind of value we can get out of it. Yeah, so what, what I'm hearing basically is then even for this, from a startup perspective, then like making sure they have a clear understanding of what role you're playing into the overall your partner's uh, objectives, right? Are you coming in to be a skill uh, solution provider, which is different versus a niche technology, small sort of uh, proof of concept, and you're building the 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 case for you to sort of uh, scale it in the bigger. So it just depends on that. Totally uh, depends on the problem you're yeah. looking to solve and, and the maturity of that problem too, as Ashin put it. So you know, depending on where you're at, the scale of the problem, the level of maturity of that problem, um, it's totally different. If you're going for like an early stage seed capital, or if you're going after somebody established and looking to you know potentially go public at some point. Well, it depends on their people too, right? Like, what people do they have to do? Is, is the startup? formed from a group of folks who have done this multiple times and they've gone through all that, whether you're going to have higher confidence in that group than you would, you know, a brand new startup who hasn't gone through these things. Well, and it also depends on their, their experience, not just on the, the startup side, but on the, the industry. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, right. how, how well right. can they translate their products to direct implementation? You know, if they lack that, then it is much more difficult. They, they probably bring something more novel to the table because they aren't bogged down by the bias that we live in every day. But, um, but if they don't have that practical experience, when you start talking, okay, here's how we're going to use it, they kind of look at you a little bit, a little glazed, and like, well, okay. And, and you know, you can, you can tell there there's a gap between uh, the sides that needs to be reconciled before you move much further. How have you seen companies approach these collaborations in, in terms of maximizing value? You, you, actually, you mentioned value as being a key driver, and I think we all did. But how, how are you guys seeing, what are you seeing companies do in, in terms of their approach to do that? No, so for example, from my perspective, right, I think, uh, and Ben, I think you alluded to this in this, is like you need to carve out in my place in, in order for ability for this partnership to be successful. One of the things that we've seen is that creating this space to be able to do that, right? Whether it's uh, like a special spot in the organization, it's separate uh, from the entire organization or whether it's implanted within the organization and everybody has a chance to do that. But just having a space to create those collisions creates uh, innovation, right? Uh, when I say separate, but not isolated, right? Like I think there's a very key difference that I wanted to sort of say, but creating that thing is one avenue that can enable that, right? Um, come up with ideas or whether it's uh, that this is an innovation group and their job is to come up with new ideas and they're responsible for finding potential partners. Um, but I think that's just one idea that, you know, we've sort of seen in the past, but Ben, what about you from your perspective? Yeah, I, I think uh, in my mind, the thing that really kind of makes things work is um, there's three components. It's time, people, and technology. You can have the, the right people, you can have the right time, but the technology might not be available. So you could have the vision, you could have the commitment, you could have the time to work, but you're not getting there. Um, conversely, you know, you could have the technology 
and you could have the time, but without the right people and the right vision, you, you fall flat. It's not there. And early on in my career, um, I, it was kind of a running joke for a period. It was early on, I was a geoscientist working on a, kind of a novel concept. I was essentially trying to, uh, to map out in a dynamic form a field at like a, a, you know, a very small level, like 500 foot by 500 foot, and I'd call it like a money map. I want to be able to run in a dynamic simulation, um, you know, cost sensitivities, price sensitivities, um, production sensitivities, et cetera. And, you know, we had the right vision. We had the right time. People were bought in, but we didn't have the right technology. We, we actually couldn't do it. Like, there was, there's technology that was just missing from the equation to, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's just limitations on what we could actually do. Okay. Didn't realize that at the time, you know, banged our head against the wall for quite a period of time. Fast forward to today, it, it is a reality, and it's fantastic. It's what our business largely runs off of. We can run dynamic simulations on pretty much anything okay. um, from performance level, cost level, price level, and we can map it out visually and spatially, and it, it's just fantastic. But it goes back to, and the same concept applies to startups. Um, if, if you have those three components in the right order with the right, the right magnitude, then things will work. But if you're missing one of those, if you have the right people, the right technology, but they don't have enough time, it's not going anywhere. It's just going to sit still. Yeah, so you you mentioned how to get partnerships to work with innovation, um, and I think you mentioned it right, separate but not isolated. One one of the things I think about with innovation is that you want it to be effective, not necessarily efficient, because mm -hmm. it, it can be a very messy process, and it can be a, the process in and of itself can be very disruptive, um, and so that's where you want to be connected, but you also need that freedom to have a bit of a messy process so that it's effective but not necessarily efficient. And so what I've seen really work is when you create teams with partners that are focused on delivering an innovation, get to a POC, demonstrate that there's value in the idea and be able to get there quick, fail fast, iterate, be agile, but then also have the technology stack to support the innovation. So if you go into an innovation, you build something that's really novel and useful, but you don't have an underlying technology stack to actually be able to deploy it, you've created a great possibility that you now have to put on the shelf and then go build an underlying technology stack to be able to support. And that comes back to that internal ecosystem we talked about a little bit before. So, so when, you start, when you say stack, just for the viewers, what do you mean by technology stack? Uh, when I mean by technology stack, that could be native technologies within your organization. It could be cloud technologies that are available to you. It could be having the ability to build, run, and maintain machine learning models, um, being able to access data as an example, and being able to get to it. All of those kinds of things that, that you would think you, you might be able to need to move an innovation forward. And the reason that's important is, and Afshin touched on it, you want to iterate quickly, right? So if someone comes up with an idea, you want to get a solution in them relatively quick. You don't want to go, you know, the traditional waterfall approach doesn't work very well with, in, with the innovative um, mind, right? Because you want to get that solution in front of them quickly so you can iterate towards something that might work. Yeah. But yeah, Afshin's correct. It is a very messy process. Yeah, it's messy. I mean, innovation, yeah. it's, it's just, it's messy. It's meant to be it's that messy. Way, right? And And really combining those teams together, getting the, the internal and the partnership resources to act as one team, I think is really important. What, what I think is important to avoid is the idea of throwing something over the fence to a partner, having them work on something, coming back to you, showing you something, saying, you know, I think I wanna change this one thing. They go back, a month later they come back, and you, it's a very slow process, and there's very little learning that goes on through that process. So being able to bring the partner and bring them close to the internal resources so that not only are you innovating, but you're actually also bringing more capabilities into your organization to your people. 
And it's sort of a win-win situation when, when you can do that. So it, it's okay to be messy, but in a structured way. It, in a structured it, it, let way. Let it not be, it, the goal is not to be chaotic. It that's needs to right. Be structured, right. That's and right. That, that's yeah. what we really want. And, and again, it's about being effective. Correct. Not necessarily efficient. I think Ben touched on a great point as well. Right, you've got to have, and for, for what, what I see a lack of more than anything in this industry is the time to go innovate, right? We've come out of the downturn from 2014 on and then the downturn of COVID and all that. Mm-hmm. Organizations are thin. Finding, yes, finding time for them to innovate has been difficult, right? Um, and it's, it's hard to get people to think differently and do something differently when they're focused on just trying to get their day job done. So you can use partners multiple different ways. You can come in and help them innovate, but you can also come in and help them create slack in your, in your, in your process for the, your existing folks to be able to innovate there. That's actually a great point. Yeah. Ben, you, you, any thoughts on that? I know that uh, that's a big topic, I'm sure, as you know, uh, leading innovation. You know, you're in a bigger organization. You probably have to deal with a lot of things. How, how do you create those chances of collision? Yeah, what? you know, I think my role as a, as a leader is to really help facilitate yeah. that. You know, I'm, I'm not the one that's ever going to be doing the, the, the innovating or the creating there, but, but I can certainly put the right people in the right place and help create time for them. You know, people, because as, as Brandon mentioned, there is just so many things to do. I mean, it's just a tremendous amount of work to be done on the day-to-day. Uh, so finding time to think differently, to engage differently is really tough. But sometimes all it takes is just a spark, you know, like, oh, okay, I can see now how this can this and this can all come together, and now I can just make some progress on it. But it just takes some people coming together. So I think my role as a leader a lot of time is to help pull those people together, you know, informally, formally, take them to lunch, take them to dinner, whatever it is, just put people in the same room. Um, And I'm always shocked at the conversations that usually come out of it. it. It usually is never the direction I thought it would go, but it's always a direction that is providing some form of progression towards that value goal. Ben is spot on. It just takes a little bit of spark. We call it curiosity, right? They got to have just a tiny bit of curiosity. Can I do this differently? And where we've had the most success is addressing problems that are in the organization today that are causing pain for somebody. Can we go in there and solve that problem through an innovative approach and create a level of curiosity where they're willing to work on something else after that? And sometimes that curiosity might be naturally within the teams themselves. Sometimes it might be in another completely different platform or a completely new environment where they're exposed to different ideas which they perhaps were not in, in the past. So, But being deliberate about creating those opportunities to be able to create those uh, curiosity sparks. I like that. Well, and, and this is where, kind of going back to earlier in the conversation that Ben was talking about, this sort of broad definition of innovation. You know, we've been talking a little bit more on these sort of what I would call cutting edge, new technologies, really new sort of novel things and how you bring those adoption and bring them into the into the business. The other side of that, though, is, is how are you equipping individuals to innovate on their own? Do they have tools to innovate in their own space? And and that, you know, aside from the sort of separate, not isolated, which is more geared, I think, towards those sort of bigger type, not, you know, novel ideas that you're trying to bring into an organization, um, being able to create that ecosystem for an individual or groups in their, in their normal work to be able to innovate. And whether that be bringing the right technologies, whether it's digital literacy or data literacy, you can create innovation across the organization, an innovative organization, by bringing in the right tools and creating the right space that's not necessarily some of the innovation we've been focused on around, you know, very specific partners or, or particular advanced technologies, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to add to that, Afshin, too. I do think a greatly overlooked aspect of innovation is upskilling. Yeah, yeah. You know, when we talk about um, capabilities, 
we generally talk about core competence, competencies for a discipline. So for geoscientists, it's mapping, reservoir characterization, structural analysis, et cetera. Um, we don't talk about idea generation or brainstorming. We don't talk about pitching or selling. We don't talk about implementation or change management. Those, those discrete three categories there, um, there's something a lot of technical professionals just aren't great at. It's like, how, how do you effectively generate ideas? How do you effectively pitch it? And how do you effectively implement it? And those are three different skill sets. You very, very rarely will find somebody that is working effectively across those three disciplines of, of innovation, um, much less any of those three. So I think that's a big um, gap in the industry currently, and probably in other sectors as well. It's just uncomfortable for leaders and especially executives as well to say, man, this is something we really got to put time into. Or the appreciation for it. Or the appreciation yeah. for it. Yeah, the acknowledgement and mm -hmm. uh, the recognition for it. Um, but it is something in my mind that's absolutely critical for an, for an ecosystem to really thrive and flourish. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Next Imperative so you never miss a new episode. Also, visit our website at alvarezandmarsal.com to learn more and to connect with us.